0: Welcome to Fresh Takes on the Future of Work. We are focused on fresh perspectives from business and HR leaders about the future of work. Fresh is an acronym for freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness, values core to operating in the future of work. We'll tie back to these while exploring interesting stories and actionable ideas. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jess Pagoni. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Luna, a technology for the modern employer, enabling flexibility and choice to meet employees where they are today and in the future. Bottom line, we create alignment between work and life to attract, engage, and retain top talent in today's competitive market. Our guest today is Cynthia Patterson. Cynthia is a progressive people leader working in industries including retail, healthcare, and her passion, software. Originally from Seattle, she recently moved to Brooklyn, New York. I think you also did a stop in Boston there for a bit, Cynthia. And Cynthia is also a member of the advisory board for Luna. So I personally have the opportunity to benefit from her keen insights and passion for people, and technology on the regular. In her free time, you can find Cynthia exploring New York, eating, and also amplifying underrepresented voices in the community. Cynthia, thanks so much for being
1: here. Thank you for having me.
0: So as we sit here today, it's the back half of May. May also happens to be Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Cynthia, this is part of your story and your background. And I'm excited to hear about that, about you and your upbringing as an Asian American, and then also about the work that you've been doing on the people side of business.
1: Thank you. I'd love to speak to that. It's very special to be having the conversation during Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month with you. See, about me, I would say that my story isn't atypical. I was adopted and I'm adopted from Korea. I did do yet another pit stop. I stopped in Japan though, before coming to the United States when I was five. So I was living in Japan with a white family in Japan being Korean. And it became even more enriching after I came to the U.S. because in the U.S. we were in California. I lived in Alameda, Oakland, California area, and then before moving to a smaller town in Washington State. So it's an interesting experience to identify as someone who is Asian, but culturally identify as American and then from a race perspective as Asian. So there's a lot of struggle for folks in the community, and again, not just in the Asian community and other underrepresented communities as well, that we, we kind of grapple back and forth with these things. But it's good that we talk about this. We talk about those struggles with not only our community members, but also people who aren't part of that experience as well.
0: CP, do you remember coming to the U.S.?
1: I do. I remember it was my first time remembering a flight that I had been on. And when I came to the U.S., I remember thinking that it was so very loud (laughs) in America. Oh, interesting.
0: (laughs) In comparison
1: to Japan, everything was just louder, more colorful, I guess, when I came here.
0: Wow. It must be really... Fascinating now, as a adult person, to look back on that and be like, "Wow, I was five years old. I was coming to the United States, a country I'd never been in before." And, and I love that you're remembering the, the sounds and the colors. And I'll just say, I am glad that you are here and have made the contributions that you've made to so many businesses and so many people globally that you have impacted as a result of your work in the, the people and HR field. And really looking forward to hearing your answers on the podcast today. So everyone here on the Fresh Take Show, we ask everybody the same five questions about the future of work. Cynthia, are you ready to dive in?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So our first question is always, how do you define the future of work?
1: I love this question. And I love that we talk about this a lot, you and me. To me, the future of work is employee-centric. And when I say employee-centric, I am not talking about having the best benefits and the best perks like pool tables and whatnot. It's more about understanding that being employee-centric means acknowledging that businesses need to acknowledge that the world at large has an impact on employees and their work life. So businesses now have the responsibility that they need to not only recognize that, but they also need to take action. And have that be a part of their fabric and their way of thinking. So basically incorporating then those employee perspectives into how they run their business. I think a good example of that is I remember on LinkedIn, you know, not remember, it seems like it happens still constantly, but people are tone policing on LinkedIn saying, this isn't appropriate on LinkedIn. This is quote unquote, not business. And those are the types of ideologies that we actually really need to quash and business needs to step away from. It is business life is business. We work, we live, we live, we work. And so it's really important that companies really start to own that and then take responsibility for it.
0: Wow. So this is a great segue into our next question. And so you mentioned that businesses really need to take action and that we need to be thinking about work and life in this more integrated way. So if I handed you a magic wand right now and said you could change any one thing about work life, what would you change?
1: I'll say this, and this is how I work about the world. So if you work with me, I'm operating from this perspective. I think. That our economy really does depend on having people who are under-resourced and struggling. In order for us to be able to have people who are doing what we would consider entry-level work or blue collar work, those folks are generally people that are under-resourced at any given time. And then the problem with that of course in addition to what we can you know, already imagine is that those folks then are able to be manipulated and they're able to be given a message about what it is that they actually need or they'll be able to be influenced to vote against their best interests to think against their best interests at any given time i always say a saying you know well, don't step over a dollar to pick up a dime but it is really easy if you're an under-resourced person who is struggling to pay the bills um, to not step over a dollar a pick at a time when you think that something is going to be better just over that way, if you continue to think this particular way. You know, if I could think about how, again, companies can be take responsibility for that because this is how the economy is, we need to be able to offer something else more and different to our employees. I personally would like to see companies start petitioning for reallocation of how our payroll taxes are used. Our payroll taxes should be funding things like rental leave. The fact that we have to have flexible spending accounts and HSA accounts, it should not be a thing. It should be that we have this set standard amount that is allocated for child care and health care. Obviously, universal health care is really an important thing. The, the fundamental basics are really important. I'll tell you that I just went to the dentist in the last two weeks to have a root canal and a cavity filled. And I had used up my dental maximum, I guess you could say, because I cried my teeth. And that bill was $2,600. I paid that cash. $2,600 is rent, mortgage, and a car payment for a lot of people. And I have the privilege to be able to put that on a credit card, but everybody is not like that. And so what I'm speaking to about businesses' responsibilities is that they can step up and say, listen, we know that it's part of business. We pay taxes to further and support the economy and its people. Here's how we would like to be able to see it used. And again, Back to the earlier question, of making it more employee-centric.
0: For those of you listening, CP... As I affectionately call her, is a big thinker. And so clearly, with this response, my wheels are turning as hard and as fast as they can right now about how do we reallocate payroll taxes in this new and different way, not requiring all these other tax-advantaged accounts that also likely aid the privilege that people have to work at companies who actually offer those types of accounts. So you're getting, I think. Cynthia, to the core of a lot of the challenge that stems from the bureaucratic regulation that has been put in place in a very different time. And it's just so hard for government to keep up. And so I think what you're saying is, let's rethink the way we're doing things we've always done. I mean, this is like a big, big, big topic, and I love that you're bringing it to the forefront
1: here. Thank you. And and that was beautifully said. I mean, that's exactly what it is. We are talking about the future of work. And if these are the tools and resources at hand, that doesn't mean that we can't become more creative and and start thinking about ways that will really actually support a person at a very personal and basic and individual level.
0: So as far as fresh takes go, fresh being freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness. Which area, CP, do you see as most pressing right now as we think about the future of work and the evolving employer-employee dynamic?
1: Let me first say that I still think that fresh is probably one of my most favorite core values I've heard in recent memory. Just want to be able to say that.
0: Thank you so much. I I do appreciate it. I have a lot of fans of fresh. I I, I feel like I got it right with that one.
1: Absolutely. And I think you probably are going to guess, since you know me, what my answer will be. I definitely think that it's empathy. 100% that it's empathy. Empathy is one of the main foundations of emotional intelligence or EQ. And EQ is something that I am very, very passionate about enveloping people. Just so everyone knows what it is, emotional intelligence is, summary, awareness of yourself and awareness of others and what you do to regulate that and what you do to be able to cultivate relationships through that. And that's a very high level overview of it. But that person with high EQ generally means that they are someone who has a growth mindset, that they're open to change and thinking differently being challenged as well, is, is really an important aspect. So empathy is basically the building block of EQ. And I see now in the world that it's just so easy for people behind a screen and a keyboard to start putting out hateful and hurtful things out there because of anonymity and things like that. And I really worry that if we don't actually make this a part of our culture, that we need to build it in schools. We need to build it in the workplace. We need to build our family and friends relationships that things aren't going to go well for us, to be honest. And as a people leader, I do look for EQ because I do believe that EQ is something that if you have that, I can teach you anything the technical skills. I would rather have somebody with high EQ and lesser technical skills than the other way around to be honest those people will stay with you longer they will grow with you they will challenge you and i think that's what all employers are looking for so 100% empathy is my favorite of the values
0: i love how you defined empathy for us and and one of the ways i often talk about it is just being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes for a moment kind of think about it from a different perspective and i have three young kids and, and they are very Self focused, you know, at six and four and two, like they're, it's all about them, like me, 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 me. But if I do my job as a parent, my goal is that they'll always be also reflecting on not just themselves. I want them to think about themselves, but I also want them to think about how will this be received by others around them. And maybe it's a little strange to bring a parenting analogy into a work conversation, but at work I think it's the same thing we can't just assume that because we have a point of view everyone else will have it as well and we also can't assume that the way that we might articulate something is going to be received in a positive manner on the other side so really doing that quick reflection of okay how how might this land and am i thinking about all of the other perspectives that are going to be in the room or at the company or in play as part of whatever the topic is and i love what you said eq is hopefully something you're continuing to a muscle that you're developing over your lifetime whereas you know a technical skill or some other skill at work you might be able to learn it relatively quickly if you've got the aptitude but the eq might be priority skill set in, in organizations of the future and certainly of the now so From a leadership standpoint, we've got a lot of managers out there right now who have been for the last couple of years juggling a number of dynamics, working remotely, distributed teams, what the policies or the evolving policies are inside the organizations that they work for, increasingly diverse teams, which is a wonderful thing. But it's also a challenge for managers to adapt and learn and grow and stay current So my next question is, what advice do you have for leaders and what should they be focused on right now so that they can continue to have that growth mindset and continue to grow themselves?
1: I think about people managers a lot because I too am a people manager. And the challenge that is facing folks right now is burnout. You might have seen about HR professionals, particularly that there is reports of uh, surveys that are out there that are saying 80 to 95% burnout rate for HR people. And people managers are right behind them. I believe that the most recent numbers I recall seeing was something like 55 to 60% of people managers are burnt out right now. And again, this is all with the changing environment, climate that's happening right now. I would say that what people managers should be doing right now is actually advocating for their own development. I was just talking with somebody about this last week, actually, that we too often will give people managers a people manager position and then like set it and forget it. See you later. Good job.
0: Now you are the perfect manager. You are excellent at your job. Yes.
1: And so if you are a person, which is, it happens a lot, I'm going to actually say that that's the norm. I would say that it's the exception to have a very good development program into becoming a manager, then getting mentored, coached, and given all the principal training that you need, I think that that's actually the exception people managers should be advocating to say, listen, I need regular and multi-format training. I want to have mentors and coaches. I want to be able to do asynchronous training online so I can read on my own time. Maybe you have an audio version. I want to have workshops where I can talk with other people, managers, and get their take on situations that we're encountering. And I want to make sure that it works with the schedule that I have. So being able to offer multi-format training that supports all the things that I really want to focus on myself. That's, I think, what people managers should be doing. And, you know, your leadership team, your executive team, 99.9% of us, we manage other people, we manage the managers of managers. And so my hope is that they hear this, and they really realize, wow, we do really need to be proactively Investing in our people managers in their growth and development, because certainly by helping them with principles around resilience will definitely help around burnout and obviously then feed retention where they're working at a company that cares for them and they want to be able to stay and they feel valued.
0: So, my next question related to this might be an impossible question. So, if it is, I'm sorry. But here's the thing I think a lot of managers, especially ones that are feeling burnt out, are like, I don't actually have time to read or go to training or attend workshops and i think that sense of overwhelm of like i'm just trying to get through the next hour the next day which is very very much a product of burnout i think that's really real for people right now so managers need to somehow take back their time in a way but how can they do that is there an answer for this is there a way to kind of get out from underneath the pile so to speak
1: I think it's a great question. And for me, I do see a few different ways out of the pile. One is something that may be provocative to say, but I really do think that we need to evaluate actually the difference between what companies are considering outcomes. I think too often, company metrics might be measuring outputs instead of outcomes. Sure, there's important metrics and things that you need to be measuring like growth and revenue. You have your internal stakeholders like your employees and co-workers, but then you have external stakeholders like your investors. I just think that there can be a conversation had between everyone to say like, listen, we maybe build our goals that we're 100% sure we can get 80% of the goal. But at certain times, is there a time when we can actually say that it's okay to do 70% of that goal? that 100% of that goal, is that actually even a reasonable number or does it require us to already run at 150 or 60% to be able to have efficacy? These are the really tough conversations that people need to be having. And of course, this kind of maybe interrupts our economic model that we have right now. But if we were able to make realistic company goals that do still measure importance of growth, importance of, you know, reach, things like that, I think that we could get to a place where managers would then be able to say, I do have enough time to be able to incorporate my own development. But manager having that response, they're actually telling you, I need to be doing work for others, which is more important than myself. So they're essentially saying that it's more important that I put the oxygen mask on the company than it is themselves. And how long is that sustainable? And so, again, that's one way that we would be able to do that. One example I can give you as someone who's worked in SaaS software, software as a subscription, is that, you know, we love to talk about the rule of 40, right? 20% revenue growth, 20% gross profit growth. And it's like, is that the formula for success, be achieving that? And does it have to happen at this exact clip? And when we do over quote achieve, what are we doing to be able to make sure that we are aligning so that it still remains reasonable if we do then even go beyond those particular goals? We should start really questioning how we operate as businesses for our employees.
0: So, CP, I have one last question for you today. And it is what is one company that you admire for their fresh
1: take? I admire a ton of companies. I know so many people at great companies that they're working for making a difference there. But I often mention one that I don't have association with, actually, and it's called Buffer. It's a social media company. And what I admire about them is their willingness to be able to have make everything transparent to their employees, and to the public. So for example, they're one of the main companies that I think about when talking about posting salary information. And I can't remember what the model was a few years ago. I think it's changed since then but I love that they were having that conversation right up front with people. So they knew right away, you're setting and managing expectations out the gate for people. And they would be able to know if the mission of Buffer aligns with them, that they knew if the salary actually made sense for them yeah. in their lives. So salary transparency is a huge topic is, you know, I'm in New York and in November, we will have salary transparency laws that mirror Colorado's and other states who have kind of smaller requirements around salary transparency. But this is going to be the topic coming in 2022, 2023. So I hope that companies prepare themselves.
0: That's great. Buffer is certainly a company to admire and we'll make sure we include them in our shout outs when we post the episode. Thank you so much, CP, for spending some time with me today and for your really thoughtful and thought-provoking responses.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you to everyone else for listening in and don't forget to stay fresh.